Welcome to episode 108 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I want to give you a quick behind-the-scenes look at my strategy for attending a national conference for the first time. I went to Podcast Movement looking for connections and content. The content was abundant, and I have some great ideas now on how to improve my show's visibility and audio quality. The connections were even more abundant, and I had the opportunity to get selfies with several all-star podcast hosts. John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, Jordan Harbinger of The Jordan Harbinger Show, formerly Art of Charm, Mike Michalowicz of The Profit First Podcast, and Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income. I was particularly excited to meet Pat Flynn because it was his show that I listened to nonstop in the months after I left my career and started to build my business. I learned so much from him and his guests and ultimately decided to launch my own show. I saw the value of podcasting as a medium for creating and sharing valuable content while building relationships with amazing guests. I wanted to meet Pat in person and thank him for his inspiration, not just as a podcast host, but as a father of two little ones when he was just getting started. He made me think it was possible to build a business while raising a family. I got my chance to thank him, managed to not fangirl all over him, and even chatted about balancing a family and work. I also invited him to be a guest on my podcast. He said yes. The most important thing I did after that, I met the staff person who books his calendar and we hit it off. So now I have some confidence that if I'm persistent and flexible, Pat will be a guest on my show. Asking Pat was an important first step. Meeting his scheduler and having a genuine, friendly conversation, that was critical. Stay tuned. In one of these upcoming emails, I'll be sharing my conversation with Pat. Pretty cool. Your challenge for this week. Are you trying to get the attention of an influencer in your field? Comment on their content. Write a review on their book. Reply to their emails. All good strategies for getting on their radar. While you're doing that, start trying to make a connection with the people around this influencer. Perhaps their staff, guests who've been on their show, or friends of theirs. Find ways to add value to those relationships as well because there's more to meeting influencers than getting a selfie. Having other connections in common will go a long way in helping establish a relationship that is mutually beneficial. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Today's guest is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies having founded and sold two of them before reaching his 35th birthday. He's a former small business journalist for the Wall Street Journal, and he's the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, and The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, which Business Week deemed the entrepreneur's cult classic. His books have been translated into over 10 different languages. A popular keynote speaker, he travels the globe as an entrepreneurial advocate, is an active partner in multiple companies, including an American manufacturer, a business growth consultancy, an augmented reality tech firm, and a certification organization for accountants, bookkeepers, and business coaching. He also created the Profit First Formula, a way for businesses large and small to ensure profitability from their very next deposit forward. Please join me in welcoming Mike Michalowicz. Hey, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. 
Mike, thank you so much for joining me from your your home in Boontown, New Jersey. You're outside yeah. on a beautiful, beautiful day. I'm kind of jealous. Summer's upon us. It's, oh, it's a great time of year. Awesome. So I want to just jump right in. This is a podcast about uh, leadership and building great networks. So tell me, Mike, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I think, uh, to me, leadership is about reciprocity. I think, I think they're almost synonymous. Um, and what that means is if I want, for example, my colleagues to be loyal to my organization, I need to be loyal to them. If I want my employees to trust me, I must trust them. So leadership truly is about we will get out of others what we put into others. Um, do I have an ability to lead? You know, I think I realize I have my own unique style. I can't lead everyone. Some people do not respond to me. I'm, I'm naturally a goofy guy. I, I just do I enjoy joking around. You've experienced that on my own podcast. Um, and that doesn't resonate with everyone. I, I also at the same time have this, this stream, this flow going through me. I, I got to serve the world. I got to eradicate entrepreneur, entrepreneurial poverty. I need to do this. So there's this very serious mission I have uh, in a package that's a little bit goofy. Um, and I love my people. And it was once I realized this is just who I am uniquely is to seek out colleagues, communities, readers that resonate with it, just, just to be unabashedly myself, but then to put that out in a very just authentic, true way, but not expect things in return, just give in that fashion and I get back. And, and that's my own style of leadership. Just as a point, I think we all have our own style. So we're all leaders. We just have to embrace who we naturally are and just live into it. Mm-hmm. Were you a goofy kid? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think I was. And uh, I was a class clown um, and all those things. But I, I think, actually, I know the reason was I was the skinniest kid in school. And what that meant was if there was a fight that broke out or some pushing and shoving, like I didn't have a chance. I found that self-deprecating humor was a, was a great defense mechanism. <laughs> you know, no one punches the funny kid. So um, I think I, I leveraged it for that purpose and just it became part of who I am today. I, I hope it's not a defense mechanism as much as just now I see it as a joyous expression. I don't think much thing, many things seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, in life. Uh, otherwise I'd be too stressed out. So you were, uh, almost trying not to be seen then as a younger person, like at what point did you start to take on some willingness maybe to step, step forward, step up into some like visible role in the room? No. Yeah. So, um, yes, I didn't want to be seen cause I didn't want to be pushed around, uh, or beat up. It was really just, you know, there were the cool kids and I wasn't one of them. And so I didn't want to be picked on by them. That's really what it was. But at the same time, I uh, got value out of, uh, out of being noticed. So it was this weird class clown thing. Like I would do things to make other people laugh. And that, you know, all goes down to ex- expression of love and belonging and all those different, you know, hierarchical Maslow's kind of law of, uh, of how we live. Like that all plays in. But for me, I just found that being a class clown was a, was a fun thing and mm-hmm. that I, I got friends that way. Mm-hmm. And there were certain people that resonated with it. And then I found that, I don't know if comedy is the word, expression of that type becomes empowering for other people. So people see me like making a joke about something or doing something like, wow, I kind of wanted to say that. I didn't know how to. Thanks. And so it became a good platform for expression. Yeah, it's it's a different kind of leadership. I mean, people obviously still flock to you like they do today. You know, people who who admired what you were able to offer, admired like your tenacity and saying the thing that no one was willing to say, even though, you know, you're doing it in a really funny sort of non-confrontational way. Um, did that so follow you? I, I just want to note that you're, if your folks are listening in, they're also hearing perhaps a bird in your background. Birds. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah there's birds here. You got everything kind of happening. Yeah. So now we just want folks to know that we're, what's happening in the wildlife uh, refuge that Mike lives in. So, um, so when you headed off, like out of out of high school, off to the rest of the world, so did you go to college and then, like, you know, were your first few jobs? 
did you at some point have someone say like, oh, this guy has potential? Because here's the thing, you know, you you have zeroed in on like a certain way of how entrepreneurs can be and thrive and and yeah. exist and and just like do really well and do good at the same time. Um, that's a leadership thing. The fact that you were wanting to put that out into the world is leadership. What gave you sort of the idea that that was possible? I don't know if it was a person or a thing. I think it was more thrust into leadership and entrepreneurship. I, I have them as uh, almost identical terms, leadership and entrepreneurship. I think they run in parallel. And to me, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur or leader per se uh, until I couldn't get a job and, and I became an entrepreneur. And I realized going in alone is really, really hard. It's excruciating. So I needed other people to join me. Now, I've had experiences. I was the captain of the team and stuff like that in college. I, I kind of came into my own athletically. And that served me uh, in learning some basic skills. But the ultimate skill was in becoming an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the only way to succeed is w- w- by working with others and supporting each other. Yeah. So what year was it that you sort of first started the journey of the entrepreneurship piece? Uh, I was 21 or 22. I just I got a college, I got a job that was not a long-term job and said, hey, I, I can start my own business and be more successful financially. Uh, I was most motivated just by the financial potential um, and had no realization of how how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, <laughs> how much work it requires. Yeah, I know because part, part of your story is that you did really well initially, sold these two companies before you were 35, made like vast millions of dollars, and then lost it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was funny. I, I talked to a guy named Ryan Holiday. He wrote a book called Ego's Enemy. We were just talking today, and um, he shared a great thing. He's like, we all have ego, and it didn't, it's all there. And he goes, it's interesting as we're more successful achieving any outcome, financial, whatever it is, the more it actually emboldens our ego. Um, and I think that's what happened for me. The, the more financial success I had, I was like, oh, I, I know the answers. I'm so smart. I'm so, such a genius. And the business grew and continued to grow. My ego got bigger. And at a certain point, the business stopped growing. But my ego now is of such size, I couldn't accept I was making mistakes. So I continued to make the wrong mistakes through my ego. Um, that was a great awareness factor. And uh, one thing Ryan was sharing with me, and, and now I, I realize I've been doing this in my life, he's like, there's a couple of ways to keep your ego in check. One is to always do things that humble you. Do things that intentionally humble you. You don't, you don't speak another language, try to speak another language. Uh, you're not an athlete, get out there on the field. Do things where you're constantly humbled because that puts your entire ego in check. And the second thing he shared was surround yourself with people who love you but are not going to pull the punches. They're going to say, listen, you're, you're acting like a schmo, Mike. Clean up your act. You know, that was the wrong thing to say. And so I've been very fortunate. I, surra- I have those people around me that care yeah. about me, but won't coddle to me. Yeah, I, I, your first point there makes me think about parenting. I have a two and a half year old and a six month old. And yeah. that job constantly has you thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm totally out of my element. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> so they'll keep me humble for a very long time because I think <laughs> just when I think I've got it, they're going to like change and grow, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, oh, I almost yeah. got it's it. So I almost true. got it. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's so, so important true. to have those people in your life who, who like love you. Like I have people in my life who like love me, but they couldn't care less what I do in the world. Yeah. Right. Isn't there a saying like the people who care, uh, people who care don't matter and people that matter don't care. Mm. And that's, that's what it is. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, what led you to write the first of your books? Like, Because even getting that going is is so hard for people. I know, I just wrote my first. And I still talk I, about awesome, it as my Robbie. first in order to say there'll be a second and a third, right? Like you got to talk about it in those terms. Yeah. But like, you know, how did you go from like, I think I have something to say and then actually doing it? Because like most people don't take the time. Yeah, for me, it was... Um, and I'm going to write about this in one of my future books. There's a saying that if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And I said, well, if I had all the money in the world, I'd be an author, which is it's a great question to ask. There's a challenge I found with it, though, because it presumes you need all the money in the world in order to do that activity. <laughs> so I said, well, once I have all the money in the world, I will become an author. I found there's a second complimentary question, and it's when you are in a position with no money. 
of which I was in the position. I, after building those multi-million dollar companies, I lost everything. And uh, when starting anew, I asked myself, what, what vocation or what would I do with no money in this world? And when I said, I want to be an author too, when the questions align, when the answers are exactly the same, that's my dream job and that's my job for making an income. Once those two aligned, that was what I had to go all in. And I didn't know what it meant to be an author. I just knew that I was going to structure in a way where I could live the lifestyle I wanted, um, support my family, and that it fulfilled a calling of mine. So yeah. that's when I kind of made that declaration. It was not, is not an easy ride by any, but no, nothing is, nothing is. Yeah. And I think that uh, most people have high hopes when they la- write a book, launch a book. I, you know, I, I actually coach a lot of people on the launch part of the book because, you know, they sequester themselves to write something and then they're like, hello world, I have a book. And people are like, who cares? You know, it's, oh, it's unbelievable. So yeah. my, my first day of launching, my first book was called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. And the first day of the launch, zero sales. And I just want to drive what zero sales means. It means my own mother did not buy a book that day. Like I couldn't sell it to anybody. I then spoke with an author and I I don't know, I do not remember who it was, but it was the best line ever. It was a gut punch. I said, you know, I had the worst day of my life. I sold zero books. He goes, oh, oh, don't worry. He's also an author. He goes, don't worry. That's simply the quiet before the quiet. He's like, it never, you'll never move books. He's like, welcome to authorship, pal. And um, that motivated me to hustle like I never have in my life to get the momentum going. But there's a lot of truth to that. In the authorship industry, um, every day is, your, is a beginning again. You've got to get out and hustle and hustle and hustle. It's like mm-hmm. spinning a flywheel. It takes extraordinary effort to get that first sale and the second and the third. third. At a certain point, readers will start sharing the book with others. That takes a long time. Yeah, a I think for effort, everybody, for and it's really actually there. great for you to peel back the curtain a little bit and share with us those early days because to then have Business Week oh. theme at the Entrepreneur's <laughs> Cult Classic, you know, like, really, you know, it's like, whoa, right, 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 like zero right, sales day right. one, including from his mom. And then, yeah, isn't that, isn't that unbelievable? Well, what, here's the other thing I did, which is like a grave mistake, pure stupidity, but actually worked in my favor. I, I didn't know how many books I'd sell. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll sell thousands of these, I better have my first installment of 20,000 books printed. So for oh my a paper entrepreneur, I printed 20,000 books. You know, that's like $60,000, $70,000. Like I didn't have that kind of money. Uh, but I scrounged it up. I borrowed, begged and stole, minus the ceiling part, and got 20,000 books. They, every room in my house, the garage, the cabinets, you, you, would, you would try to go to the bathroom, you'd open the toilet seat and the toilet paper entrepreneur pop out of the seat. I had so many, but it, it was, it drove me. Cause I like, I, this is the only thing I have. I need to sell these. Cause if I don't, that's where my money's locked up. And I saw it that, you know, if a book sells for say $15 a book, well, that's $300,000 of inventory I have if I can sell. So I just started hustling and it was one book at a time, every single day, moving books, moving books. And it, it worked. I, I love hearing that because, like, again, most people have no plan for the launch. Um, I did a big launch for mine, um, but I, I didn't stay on the hustle the way you did. Um, yeah. You know, because I, I have the multiple distractions. And if, yeah. I were, if that were all I was doing, you're right. Like, you could just, like, you know, 24-7, like, get the book out into the world to the point where Business Week pays attention. You know, and I'm, I'm 10 years into it, and it's, like, still, like, hustle time. I was, I was hawking books today. And I don't know if hawking is the right word, but I'm, you know, I'm inviting people to get the books out there. Yeah. And I think when it comes to books, we have two responsibilities as authors. First of all, write a phenomenal book, a book that truly serves and people will want to share. Secondly, get the word out to everyone and motivate them to buy it because only if they buy it will they likely read it. I can, listen, I can give free books to everyone on this planet. It's going to go into the fireplace. Right, right. You know, you know, free has no value. So I have to get them to actually put money into it. Now, maybe I can get them to read 10 pages. And in those first 10 pages, I got to engage them to the point where they start telling other people about it. And so that's the life of the author is you got to write phenomenal books and you got to be a hardcore perpetual marketer. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people find that really difficult, the, the marketing part, but you also then somewhere along the line, you launched a podcast, the profit first podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that's, how, a, that's a marketing platform. Effectively. That's very much. So how, how many years ago now? 
uh, I think we've had that for three years, two years. We have a hundred and we just recorded a hundred and thirty or fortieth episode. So say two years. We've been nice. Two and a half. That's awesome. You were on there. Yes. So the podcast is a phenomenal platform. I mean, what we're doing right now, the people listening are a fly on the wall. You you get access to stuff that you wouldn't get. It's it's unlike a radio show. Because a radio show is one to many. A podcast is me and you and one other person. The person listening, it's a much more intimate platform. Mm. So we did the first podcast, but I've been true to my roots. You know, it's it's Mike, it's goofy at times, we joke around, it's high energy. Uh, we get to the meat and potatoes. We had a person on today, they started crying um, on the show because we hit we hit a chord. And instead of saying, Oh, it's okay, we dug into it. We said this is a spot we need to be in. Tell me about it. Um, and so it tugs at all the emotions, but we're always on theme. You know, how does this tie back to profit? How does this service in the lifeblood of our business? Well, I should also tell you that, um, speaking of what it takes to get someone to finally read your book, I finally read your book after I was a guest in your show. Right, right. Well, there's another technique, right? <laughs> but that's the reality. That's but then the reality. I, but you know what? Then I talked about it nonstop for the next month and a half. And I still bring it up whenever someone tells me, well, I will tell you this, Mike, because this is your profit first book was profound because I am, I don't know, a few years into this being a business without a job. You know, I left my career in the end of 2014. So I'm like four years, three and a half years into this. And I kept saying, like, at what point do I know that I've earned, I can earn a living? Like, at what point do I draw a paycheck? And nobody could answer that for me. No one provided me like any kind of formula for it, any expectation. And you did. And, you know, it's just, it's so simple. You know, normally it's profit minus expenses equals, you know, your, sorry, income sales minus, minus expenses. Yeah, sales yeah. minus expenses equals profit. And here it's, you know, sales minus profit equals expenses, which is That's how right. I run my personal bank account. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this translates it's, directly. What I found is there's so many principles in our personal lives. There's all these different elements um, that, that play out in our business, uh, in our personal lives, plays out in our business lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we somehow forget that as soon as we become entrepreneurs. But now, thanks to you, I started doing that in January. And now every deposit, I know automatically I'm going to pull off money to put into my tax and my profit account and my I love you know, it. owner's, owner's uh, my, my wife's like amazed because I'm really, really good at spending the money. Like, you know, <laughs> we, as early yeah. entrepreneurs, right? You like buy into programs, you buy into communities, you buy access, you go to conferences. I'm really good at doing that. But now I know there's money that's like stuck away that I'm just not even thinking about when I question, do I have enough to do this other thing? Right. Because um, I'm all about the investment in myself, but it's really nice to know I've also like have this sort of profit to the side. You're, you're called a human being. And I think, I think Robbie, there's so so many entrepreneurs are the same way. I can spend money so easily. It's all justified. Yeah. And I think we just need a system that captures our behavior, channels us. I think when we try to use discipline and prevent temptation with willpower and all these different things, mm-hmm. it, it works for a week or a day or a month, but we, we fall into our habits. So with Profit First, my goal has always been to don't change who we are, simply put a structure that channels who we are to get the outcome we want. Mm-hmm. Well, so... I want to hear a little bit more about the work you're doing today, but the way I want to ask you is, what do you find most rewarding about that work? So the work I do today is speaking, tons and tons of speaking and writing, right? I also own uh, an organization called Profit First Professionals, a membership organization that coaches Profit First. Uh, and now I've licensed out Clockwork, my new book, to another company, and I've licensed out Pumpkin Plan. What I, what I love the most is public speaking. Um, well, I take it back. I love writing too. Writing is a labor of love though. It's, it's a very laborious, hard process for me. It's draining. Speaking is a 45 minutes, an hour and a half, just bursts of energy. Bring it. And I, I love that. So that really speaks to me. What's most rewarding is to see the changes that happen. It's interesting. It's, it's usually not the person that runs up after the end of the event and says, this was amazing. It's usually the person that doesn't say a word they leave. And then another event, they come up and they're like, I was there. It changed my life. This is amazing. I was down in um, Florida on Friday. It's past Friday, Miami. 
doing a speech. Two people came up to me and said, hey, um, we flew down from Connecticut just to see you speak here. This was a small, this was a small wow. event. This was a private event. We flew down from Connecticut to see you speak. They said, we saw you a year ago. Private First has changed our lives. We wanted to learn more, and we just wanted to thank you. Like, those moments, it, they're, they're few and far in between. But when they happen, they're happening more often. When they happen, my heart just explodes in joy. And, yeah, that's that's what I live for. You know, a, take, a takeaway then for everyone listening is something that I, I always want to drive home, that there are so many content creators out there in the world. You know, Mike's a great example, putting out books, podcasts, writing, constantly talking about this. But to get that thank you, a really specific thank you, or not just like a generic, oh. you know, you were great, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. here's the thing you did that I implemented in my life has never been the same. That's amazing. And think about best. how you can do that. You know, everyone listening, if you ever listen to a show like this one, <laughs> you hear a great guest like Mike, then you take the effort. And like, I've had people sort of tweet out the show and like, you know, give a call out to the guest. And that always makes you so, so happy that they like, that that was a particularly good interview. It resonated with them. And they're like thanking me, but they're really giving a shout out to the guests for what they offered. They, yeah. Take yeah. So I think time. we can even structure that mechanism. You know, there's so many people, Robbie, listening to your show that love it and don't know how to show appreciation. Like, do I, do I call him? How do I find his number? I think we too can structure it by saying on our shows or whatever, hey, if you're getting value out of this, would love for you to share a comment because I actually read about it or give me a call. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have ways for me to improve the show, tell me. And it's it, when we give people the explicit instruction of if they want to, like this isn't a request like, hey, give me a five star because I'm amazing. It's like, tell me what you think because I want to do more that serves you. People, I, I've been doing that and more actively now people reach out more frequently. That's really great. So when you were getting started with all of this, what were the challenges that you were facing? Like, you, you went, I mean, I know you went through a major challenge in that moment of losing uh, sort of momentum in your work, but yeah. what's the challenge in the day-to-day of this? What's the part of your business that's not yours to own, but you realize you have to have other people on your team? Yeah. I mean, I have eight employees. Um, I don't know. I can't think of any challenges, but I feel so blessed now. Like, I trust my team emphatically. You know, you start off by talking about leadership. Um, there's issues that happened today, I suspect. That I don't even know what they were. They've been handled. They've been taken care of. And I'll get a report tomorrow on what's been addressed. It hasn't always been that way. I used to believe that my job was to be the superhero for the company. Go in and fix a problem. Do this. Do this. You'll always be there. Be the number one guy. And now I realize I best serve the company by not being there. Um, I deliberately left the office because it's a beautiful day, um, but also to come home because there's a major meeting going on. And I don't want them to say, hey, Mike, can you come in here and tell us your feedback? I found that certain personalities, and I'm one of them, unintentionally will start dominating a room. That's because I'm a talkative guy and I have some ideas. Plus, he, pay, he, he signs all the paychecks. So then I start biasing us towards certain ideas and it's, all, it's the Mike show. It's like the worst thing. So I deliberately and physically remove myself from the Mm-hmm. Yeah, because why hire all these smart people if they're just going to do whatever you say? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's a bad exactly. <laughs> like, nope. who knows? I mean, maybe you're the smartest guy in the room, but that's actually a bad place to be. Yeah, you don't. You, yeah, it's so funny <laughs> they say that, but I get it now. I don't want to be the smartest part, person in the room. I want to be the most talented at a very specific task. I want to write books that change lives. I want to be able to speak about it eloquently. And I want a business structure to be able to come behind it. I don't want to do any of the other stuff because that's not where I'm talented. I do want to hire the people that are extraordinary at that. And I, I believe we have that team. So you do just an enormous amount of things uh, out in the world. How do you sort of juggle all of that and still have your own time? I mean, I, the idea of being an entrepreneur usually means that there's no like clock, you know, that you punch in, punch out, right? You yeah. always bring it with you. So I guess what point do you know you're not on the clock? <laughs> like that you're able yeah. to just like unplug a little bit or does it sort of feel very integrated into your life? You know, when I answered a question like that three, four years ago, I'd say it's integrating my family and work. So my kids would actually come to the office and work. And listen, when they're two years old, they can shred paper or, you know, not two, but, you know, when they're 10 years old, they can be shredding paper and stuff. There's something to do. Um, then the, the second component was... Um, 
for me was just actually putting delineation in. So I will schedule a chiropractic appointment or something at five o'clock, get me physically out of the office doing an activity that's not office related. Mm-hmm. When I, when I was working from home, it was so hard to delineate and stop because it was so easy to pick up. So I put an intentional break. The second thing is I have a physical office. So it's, it's, it's a 15 minute bike ride from here, maybe 20 minutes, uh, five minute car drive. I go there because it gets me out of my home. And when I'm home, um, it's much harder for me to work because there's that break in between. Um, and the second thing is my wife's a great accountability partner. She's like, Mike, we're here to live, not to work. And so she keeps me in check. Plus I love spending time with her. So yeah, work. yeah. She sounds like good people. I mean, it's yeah. good to have someone like that to kind of remind you that we're yeah, not just great. here to like earn money. We should be enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So do you have any kind of morning routines or things like that that get you going? Keep- yeah, so every morning I work out. I um, This morning I did a, a, it doesn't sound like a long distance. It was a six mile bike ride, but it's extraordinarily hilly. Uh, I go, there's a private, it's not even private, like it's a, uh, a lake where there's no development and there's no... Uh, no, nothing allowed on there except for sailboats and stuff, but there's only one launch point. So you go up there, it's always empty. And so I bike up there and I'll go up there. I'll say a little prayer every time I'm looking at that lake and then bike back tomorrow. I'll hit the weight room. And then, you know, I do that every, either I'll hit the weight room or biking uh, five, five days a week. And Saturday, Sunday, it's, uh, you know, just working around the house, just yeah. you know, having fun too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, it's amazing. How old are your kids now? My oldest is 25. So wow. I got 25, 19, 16. Oh, one other thing in routine I found that is, is amazing. I, I was in India and this guy introduced me to this thing called the Tibetan bowl. It's a bowl that you hit it and it chimes and you start rubbing a stick on it and it starts chiming louder. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like no one's ever seen this. This is so India. I'm bringing one home, which I brought home. Ends up, it's like in every tchotchke store in the US. It's like everyone's got one of these things. So you can get them, at, you can get them at Spencer's for God's sake, but you get a Tibetan bowl you hit it and it sends out this beautiful chime. And I believe in prayer, putting thoughts out to the universe, however you want to define it. But I've always believed in that, but never had a way that the mechanic felt comfortable until I found this Tibetan bowl. I hit it and I put my thoughts out and I can see in my head vibrations wow. kind of coming out of this device. And I can just see how it kind of circles through the world and to the universe and out everywhere. That's become a cool new habit. I started about like three, four months ago after I returned from India. That's really neat. I, I think just like taking innovation and ideas from other parts of our, our world. So world, important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is. So because this is a show about uh, networks, I want to actually ask you a little bit yeah. about that, which is that you've met zillions of people and there are, you've, like, you have fans and followers and friends and the people who actually care about you <laughs> and like don't care what you do in the world. You have all these different like circles of people how do you sustain connection to not the closest, not the most inner circle, but like the second and third levels out, the people that, you know, you see at a conference, you know, once a year and they're like yeah. good people, you like them, but you don't, you're not working with them. How do you stay connected to those kinds of people? Poorly. Um, but I'll tell you what, what I use is email is the most effective. So to me, the most difficult people to stay connected with yet the most important are readers. So I will email every reader that reads me, emails me. I will email them back. I will do an accountability check. I maintain a list of all the people I've ever spoke to via email, whatever, and I will follow up with them, which blows them away when the author reaches out six months later and says, Hey, we talked six months ago. How are you doing? Um, so email is a great tool for that. The kind of second, like other authors and stuff like, you know, you know, we're, Robbie, we're, we're, it's, a, it's a huge community, right? You're an author. I'm an author. All these authors out there. It's very important for us to stay connected. And so I'll just do it through uh, conferences. When I'm speaking at a conference, I'll hang out in the green room longer just to see if I can see other speakers. So I was at Dave Ramsey's event. This is two, three uh, weeks ago. Seth Godin was in the room um, who I've met like four or five times now but always in passing. I would never pick up the phone and call Seth. It'd be awkward and weird. Um, but he's aware of me because I make sure that when I'm present at a place, he's present, that we're bumping into each other. And, the, you know, it's, like, it's literally, hey, how are you? I continue to be a huge fan of your work, Seth. Good to see you. He's like, oh, hey, what was your name again, Mike? Oh, okay. Good to see you, Mike. Like, that, for me, that's a, that's a significant connection. Yeah. Um, podcast interviews are great. So doing calls like this, it's a great way to rekindle and maintain uh, dialogue. 
Bob Berg, he wrote a book called The Go-Giver. He's also my go-to guy. When, when I, like a, a guest cancels, I'm like, Bob, you want to fill in? He's like, I'm in every time. And I've had him on like three or four times. And he shares phenomenal stuff. There's another guy, Roger Dooley, who's a, an author on um, neuromarketing, kind of like Robert Saldini, um, but with a fresh, different kind of angle. Have him on podcasts. Um, you know, and I'm, if I'm in a city too, one great thing you can do as an author is if you're in a city, go to like an author private page on Facebook and say, hey, I'm in Chicago uh, near Navy Pier for an hour uh, at, on Friday. And like six people are like, oh, I'm there too. And then you have a little gathering. That's smart. I mean, that kind of informal connecting can be so great. I love the fact that you're thinking of how to do it in these sort of online, you know, use, using the online spaces that we all have. Yeah. Um, you know, before we got started, I mentioned Dory Clark. I, I'm, I went through her program and uh, I probably mentioned her like every other episode. She's a rock star. <laughs> She's, She's amazing. A stud. Yeah. So I'm in her, she actually just got like um, noted for her style. She just won an award, got, got list on a list of people. For I'm not her. surprised. Yeah. yeah. She's, you said and stud you know, she's and a, I was like, she is a good style. She's a stud. She's a good style. <laughs> she is a remarkable networker too. She yeah. is deliberate. Um, I want to say the word calculated, but that's not the right word. She's just deliberate and uh, persistent and has an agenda. Um, but it's, it's, it's out of goodness. Yeah. And what she does, she did for the longest time. I don't know if she's still doing it, but these author dinners Yes. in New York and, I remember meeting like uh, uh, AJ Jacobs, who subsequently had a TV show come out called uh, My Year Living Biblically, and just met people that I'd never thought of. And what I do is I relate everyone I've met to back to Dory Clark. And I'm like, Dory's amazing. She is the great connector. Yeah, it's such a good example. You know, she was trying to get started, and then she she did these dinners, and then she eventually did this online community, which I'm part of. And I often, when I'm traveling, I'll do the same thing you just just said, which is like, hey, I'm going to be in this area for like this amount of time. And I, I once was oh, through in her community. Yeah. I was once in San Francisco and I met up with someone who lives in Vancouver who happened to be in San Francisco for business. That's <laughs> awesome. So it was really cool. Cause I'm in Boston. That person's in Vancouver. We would normally not have an in-person moment. And then when we were both in New York uh, for a Dory event, we liked each other enough that we actually like scheduled to stay after and, and like go to a theater show together. So that's what's possible. That's right? so cool. Because you're like build on these connections in person. So I, I, I really hear what you're saying. Now, when you're speaking, you're always at these random conferences, but you're right that there's these speakers that are there with you that you might want to like touch base oh, with. Oh, totally. So. Totally. You know, I found when it comes to conferences, it's the speakers and the hosts that there's great opportunity for networking and, and just building relationships. And most people don't focus on that. Most people say, I'm there to do my job. There's an airplane flying over. There's, I'm here to do my job. I'm going to speak. Uh, I'll meet a couple of fans and I'm out of here. And uh, I actually, I consider myself introverted. I get more energy out of shorter bursts with people, but extended periods, I actually start getting uncomfortable. So my natural tendency to say is like, I'm that guy. Like, let me speak and let me get out of here. But I've realized just a little extra effort, spend a little extra time in that green room or whatever. And such great networking opportunities, such great opportunities come out of that. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Yeah, it really sounds like shifting your energy so that you're not doing it in ways that sort of feel like you're wasting your time. But right. you know, being right. deliberate in the amount of time you spend in the green room, who you say hello to. Um, Seth, right. uh, so Seth's going to be on my show, actually. Oh, cool. I'm pretty excited about it. And um, he's got a new book coming out in the fall. So that would oh, be a great opportunity. Do you know the name of it? He did not yet share. I've not actually interviewed him yet, so all I know is that it's coming. Um, oh, I should get him. Oh, well, when you, when you when you talk to me, say yeah. <laughs> say hey, uh, you remember Dave Ramsey's event? Mike McCallowitz poking you a few times. <laughs> he says hi again. <laughs> you see that? So, um, how do you think about diversifying your network, though? Like, I, is it sort of 
anything, anything you're doing thoughtfully or is it happenstance that you manage to have people who aren't all exactly the same? Oh yeah. Yeah. I believe that. Right. So I do see the incestuousness of not diversifying. So there's authors or influence, whatever the term is that speak to the same community as the 15, 20 people they're hanging out with. And it's the same small base of very happy, well-served fans and consumers, but it never expands out. I, um, I love diversity in that regard, you know, but I'm speaking out of two sides of my mouth now because at the same time, I have a very specific community I'm going after small business owners, underdog entrepreneurs. I don't speak to the C-suite uh, or the um, corporations or even the, the companies that have over a hundred employees. You know, my core listener is like a solopreneur, maybe, maybe has one or two part-timers. Like that's my peeps. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the community I speak to. So I look for diversity of relationships that serve that same community. I'm not looking to network with, I'm just picking a random name, like Jack Welsh, who I, I, I don't know if he's re- fully retired now, but he was coaching after he left GE, coaching large companies. Like that's wonderful. We're in such a diverse community we're serving. Like we would be the worst people to connect. Very diverse, but not the match, you know? So it's interesting because the challenge there is that if you do get a chance to speak to someone like that, there might be some innovation that you could then apply to the work you're doing. Right. So there's a certain amount of openness, but you wouldn't want to put all of your energy into that kind of connection because right. it's it, not directly related. Yeah. Yeah. And if I spend all my time, you're right. I could learn so much there and maybe I can translate to small business. Conversely, if that's where I focus all my energy, I would start diluting my right. presence. So it is a, it's a balancing act. Yeah. So you have a new book coming out yourself. You said you as clockwork, right? Clockwork. Yeah. It comes out August 21st yeah. at your favorite bookstore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just talking to my publisher literally just a few minutes before we hopped on here. And, um, so that was last week according to when this comes out. Yay. Okay, so last week, last week. So yeah, nice. <laughs> so uh, all guns are blazing. We've got the final, final in. Uh, so the book is off to the printer, um, which comes out in August. That just shows you how big publishing houses work. This is June when we're recording this, early June, right? It, they have to put it in the printing cycle now. Wow. Um, yeah. And we were just talking about estimated sales and like, it's a weird conversation to have as compared to a self-published author with my first book. It was like, whatever, I'll buy 20,000 books. Now they're like, you know, calculating, pre-planning, do we have sponsorship backing? And it's just, it's a much more sophisticated yeah. model, I guess. Yeah. So um, what's your plan for, for like getting the launch done, particularly like the Amazon reviews? Because that for me is like networking, right? Like getting people to follow through you know, downloading the book and, and, uh, reviewing it. Yeah. Yeah. So the review, like here's the irony. Reviews are extremely important to me. Um, but not in the beginning. Like I just, I know reviews will come about naturally. I, I know that if I front load the reviews, which would say that's like authorship one one get as many reviews you can in there. But I also know that a re, a sophisticated reader will say 75 reviews on day one. Hmm. Mm, that's suspicious. And even after legit, I got the proof. I got the early read release. It's still kind of weird. So for me, um, I want to get reviews. I will make it happen. But it's going to be a deliberate process over months, over years uh, of relentless pursuit of that. So when someone reads the book and says, I love your book, and this is, this is a tip for any author listening. If any reader reads you and says, I loved your book, and people will email you, yeah. say, thank you so much. Would you be willing to post an honest review too? Yeah. And a portion of them will say, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the way to solicit reviews. But for the launch, for me, what it is, it's also, it's getting that group of people that I've had relationships over the time, influencers, to spread the word authentically. Meaning I, I got the book to them already. They read it. Do they really like it? What's their opinion? Um, it's to get past readers back to them saying, hey, listen, there's a brand new book out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. And you know, you to get on podcasts like this, you know, and start saying clockwork, clockwork, clockwork over and over again. I, I think a reader, when it comes to buying a book, you got to hear it like a hundred times from a hundred different people <laughs> before we spend those $17. It's funny. Like on Amazon, you see a product that sells for $90. You've never heard of before. It has two reviews or five star. Eh, I'll buy it. A book, you have to have everyone and their mother talking about it, hearing it. It's only 17 bucks and started to sell. So Books are extraordinarily hard to get people to buy. So 
my, my effort is to get as many people speaking about it that's great. Uh, possible. Well, I think that's yeah. also something that you're able to do when you have the bigger platform. I will say that I was the person yeah. who self-published and I had a hundred reviews on my launch day. That's a, that's impressive, right? And that's a concentrated effort. Yeah. And then and now it's how closing do you sustain? In on, well, now it's closing in on 200 worldwide. No, oh, nice. It's, yeah, nice. I'm coming up on a year that the book's been out. Yeah. Nice. But, you know, it, nice. but for part of it is like, you know, when you're a self-published author, like you've got to get out there and then Amazon starts to push you up the rankings. I'm still in the top you, 20. You have to, it, it, you, know? you have to. Yeah. You have to. Like, so my new thing is like, I wonder if a thousand th- reviews, I wonder for a consumer, if that's a threshold. I, when I see a book that has a thousand plus reviews, like four hour work week just comes to mind. Sure. Of course. Um, I just discovered a book called story brand by Donald Miller. I just downloaded it and it's trying, the reviews are so many that it's, it's significant. I got, I'm like, oh, it has over a thousand reviews. That's a book I got to read. Yeah. You know, it used to be if a book had more than 20 reviews, that was a big deal. And I wonder if that thing's moving up. So I think of my own books, like as they come out, I got to get a thousand plus reviews. I think for someone to look at it instinctually say, wow, that, that's clearly someone in, in big demand. Yeah. Particularly someone who's not already in the fold, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So it's a, it's a thing where you, people have to feel like they're genuine reviews. I mean, it has to be legit. All it has that, to be yeah. legit, all legit. But but we do have the ability to facilitate it. We have the ability to encourage it. It's probably the yeah, way. yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is really exciting. I I, I want to hear. Um, this is my favorite question. So if we we're reconnecting a year from now, I hope we cross paths before then. But we're reconnecting a year from now, and you're telling me all the amazing things that have happened in the past year. I want to know what we will be celebrating. So a thousand reviews, ironically, uh, of Profit First will have happened within the next, uh, but before year end, um, I will have um, a new uh, author agreement contract that is mid six figures for an advance. Um, I will have, um, let's see, I one of my books. I just know the numbers because because I, I have this on my wall. I'm not looking at my wall. I'm just kind of thinking from my mind, but uh, Profit First will sell 750 plus books a week in the hardcover print. Audible is about a thousand a week. And then Kindles, you know, the, whatever, three, 400 a week. Um, I will have visited Ireland, which I already did. So that one's off the list. Um, and I will have bought a new house, which I did. So the, I have a, I have a, I don't call it my goals list, but my intentions list. And yeah. I, I wish I was at my, my office because I could show it to you. I have a old typewriter um, that I got like, from the twenties, this beat up old typewriter. I believe my, in my dream, uh, a prior author was using it. The typewriter, I've typed up a sheet of my intentions. I do it every year. I type in all the things I intend to achieve this year. And it sits on that typewriter. Every time I leave my office or enter my office, I see it sitting right there, the typewriter, and all my intentions are there. It's been a great way to make my vision very concrete, very tactical, tactile, yeah. I should say. Very. And so um, last year, I had, a, I think, an 80 to 90% success rate. And I put some outrageous goals on there. I Listen, a mid-six-figure advance, you know, that's like a Seth Godin, Simon Sinek type level. Um, that doesn't come about every day. Will I make it happen? I don't know. It's my intention yeah. to, to make that a reality. Um, but in a year from now, that's my intention for that to happen. And it's not, those things kind of sounds, when I s- say it, it sounds a little selfish, like, oh my God, this is all about money. That means the impact of my existing books. Like the only way you can do that is if clockwork changes countless lives. If profit, if profit first serves millions of people. Like that's the measurement for that. Right, and which is the reason that you would want to keep writing and speaking is that you're having an impact. Impact, yeah. Right, yeah. It's always yeah. It goes back to impact. This is so great. So, Mike, how can people find you and follow your work? Um, thank you for asking. So, it's MikeMichalowitz.com. Here's the deal, Robbie. Like, no one can spell, let alone pronounce Michalowicz. The shortcut is MikeMotorbike.com. That was my nickname in high school. The irony is I never rode a motorcycle in my life, but it was Mike Motorbike. So if you go to mikemotorbike.com, it goes to my site. And on the site, I have all my books there, of course. Free chapter downloads, try before you buy type thing. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. All my articles are available. 
tons of stuff up there. Your website has... <laughs> yeah, it's a surprise too. It's yeah. a surprise. People will be in for a treat. They should definitely go and check out your website. It's unlike any other author website, you I think. You have like, I don't know, dozens of photos of yourself doing... Like, I am <laughs> not that funny. Like, I have a good sense of humor, but you just... I don't have that personality. Well, it's, 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 it's so the self-deprecation great. and goofiness, right? It's, it's, so it's, it's who I am. So you. Who I, it's so you. Yeah. Like... Yeah, and, and when you're there, click the little button asking, you know, how do you pronounce his last name? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's another little fun thing. <laughs> so most people don't have little Easter eggs uh, hidden on their website like you do. I got them all over, yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, I'm also going to put in the show notes uh, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, uh, link to your website. Um, thank you, and to all your books, your Amazon links as well. So thank you so, so much for participating in this great conversation on this glorious day. Enjoy. Thank you so much. The joy was mine. And and thanks for uh, putting up with it without a computer and let me do this on my iPhone. So thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mike. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 108. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Mike, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on the way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H, M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is conversations with people promoting mental health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.